Well, hello and welcome to The Mariner with me, Chris Stamwell Major, and welcome to the first episode, really, of 2022. Now, where have I been and what have I been doing? I would like to tell you that I've been off on my jolly adventures and off across the far horizons, but I, I really haven't. I've been at home and I've been um, dealing with, I guess, the final stages of the crisis, the situation that COVID and COVID lockdowns have created for me over the last two years. So it would not take very much imagination to understand that uh, if you're running a commercial charter operation on boats that go offshore, um, there's been a sharp decrease in the, <laughs> in the amount of interest that people have uh, getting on a boat with a load of strangers and heading offshore away from primary healthcare. So hopefully here now in early February 2022, we have a situation where we think we are coming out of COVID. And I, I, I say that only with the um, caveat of think, because I know there is still, of course, the wide open uh, debate on exactly how this is going to go down, how the mandates are going to be repealed, all the rest of it. But for my part, I've had to take a very, very close interest in COVID and the development of what's been going on with the mandates, uh, because so much of our business relies on our ability to travel around the world and of course relies on people being able to come together safely come together in quite close quarters situations and enjoy the kind of um, activity that uh, that Spartan gives i.e going offshore and learning how to sail these big um, these big boats so um, my assessment of it has been actually if I think about it retrospectively it's been kind of dead on the whole way through um I have been keeping my eyes on the science with all capitals. I think it's uh, it seems to have been kind of science and the science have become two separate things now. And I think um, the official position of the government and the narrative of the of the media reporting on the government is is also two different things. A, a, a difficult road to walk down, but it's not my role here to kind of push one side or the other. But I think that it's very clear that. Um, we are coming to the end of the strictest elements of the of the mandates and the lockdowns. Um, we have a good idea now how to travel, how to be around each other. We've got new uh, social mores requiring us to you know cover our mouths when we sneeze and wash surfaces and all that kind of stuff. So I think the world is starting to open up in a way which allow our business to go back to work, which obviously is a massive oh my God, kind of moment because um, I have no other forms of income. The social media stuff that I do obviously promotes sailing and promotes Spartan and promotes seamanship and all those things, but there's not very much income coming from that. The main source of what we do is round the world racing and the charter racing that uh, my company Spartan Ocean Racing does. Um, that I get, you know, I just I just said like around the world racing and offshore racing and the company's called Ocean Racing. The, the thing that's happened is that I've recognized that I don't particularly want to go racing anymore. <laughs> I've got to say, like, imagine you have, um, imagine you have a bicycle shop and you rent out bicycles and you rent out bicycles to people that come in and they're just riding them around the lake and up and down the high street, doing a bit of, you know, cruising around and visiting the place and they bring it back to your shop. You can imagine that you're going to think, well, I've got to buy oil, I've got to buy brake blocks, I've got to buy, you know, whatever it is, I've got to service them once in a while, maybe someone damages once in a while. Okay, fine. Now imagine you have a, a, a bicycle charter sh shop, a bicycle a rental shop, and you're, you're giving out bikes to people who are then taking them and racing them as hard as they possibly can. Clearly, there's going to be a lot more wear on the bikes. Clearly, there's a lot more risk of damage and injury and all the rest of it. 
And so it is with the industry that Spartans ended up in. Um, as I've, I've talked about this before, like my background is sale training. And I guess I've done a lot of racing, but my heart is in the experiential um, value of being out on the water and, and the way that that can have really positive transformative effects for people. Um, and also I want to be involved in helping people develop safer practices on the water, increase their seamanship. And uh, that opens up opportunities for them to go with their families and their friends and go and do their own thing. So racing per se is kind of something that I got um, shoehorned into by financial realities when we started the company. It was just it was very difficult at the time to get people to go out onto the water doing seamanship training. And it was a lot easier to get people to go and do racing. But if you choose to go and race in Europe, then you need to have a way to get back to North America and the Caribbean, which another race then you're in the caribbean more races and then you want to get back to nova scotia another race and you just end up it's just race 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 the whole time and uh, for anybody with a business mind you can clearly see from the bicycle example um, it's much better to take uh, your equipment and be using it in a training set setting um, in, in, in a safe kind of cruising setting a, a calm setting than be forever running your gear at the very edge of what it can do added to that the boats that we run between 60 and 85 feet, they're high-powered boats, um, which amateurs jumping onto the boats cannot operate at the very kind of dusty edge of what's possible. The reality is that when you have a boat with this kind of performance uh, envelope and you put people on board who have anything less than many years of experience, the boat's going to go slower. So you've got a kind of weird dichotomy that you're saying, hey, come on the boats, we can go fast. And then as soon as people get on board, you say, right, we're going to go slow because it's dangerous otherwise. And you have a business model which has fixed fixed uh, costs and variable costs for each race. But the variable costs when you're racing can jump exponentially to the point where there's there's no profit in it. There's not even There's not even the money to make the wages that run the company. You can end up literally that as the business owner, you are paying for other people to go racing. So all that being said, what it comes down to is that going into 2022, we have two races which we have to provide because it was stuff that was booked in 2019 before COVID. So we're going to do the Regatta del Sol al Sol between Mexico, uh, sorry, between um, Florida and Mexico. And then we're going to do the Newport Bermuda race, which is a, a well-known and a fantastic event to get involved in. And then that's it. We're kind of off the racing thing. I know the name of the company is still Spartan Ocean Racing and Training. Um, we're going to focus the racing thing into bigger individual events. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later on. Um, I don't want to make this just about uh, Spartan and my business, what's going on. I think there's there's more to be said in a wider kind of scope and a little bit of sailing news in there. But it's, you know, it's pretty important to me. <laughs> so I thought I'd tell you about it. So um, the biggest thing that's happened really in the last uh, three months since we last talked is that Spartan for a long time has been focused on this idea of getting away from the racing but knowing that we would have one overarching event that we would enter into, which is where the, the racing would kind of come through. All the rest of it's training and voyaging, and then there's this one thing we do, and that thing was going to be the Ocean Globe Race in 2023. And I've had a bee in my bonnet about this race for, well, a good couple of years. Unfortunately, those couple of years are the same couple of years that have almost wiped the company and many other companies like this out. Um, 
we we pushed the organizer don mcintyre um in 2019 2018 2019 to include a division which would be for boats that were racing in the original whitbread race um in the 90s and were much more high performance boats so if you don't know the ocean globe race was put together by don mcintyre who also organized the golden globe race a few years ago which was a retrospective and a homage to the original golden globe race from the late 60s those boats set off with um, they're all doing astronav there's very little media stuff on board and it was a really traditional return to the fundamentals of offshore racing that made it so captivating back in the day i think it, offshore racing ended up becoming kind of kind of a lot of prima ballerina kind of characters supposedly millions and millions of dollars and it just all sort of started to dilute away from being on the water being on the sea uh, and engaging in this um this huge, huge challenge of, of racing all the way around the world. So Don's concept, beautiful concept, was to get back to the origins of that and get back and do a, respect, a retrospective race of uh, the 1973 Whitbread race, the first proper round-the-world yacht race. And most of the boats that were entered were up to 50 feet. And there's boats like Maiden entered in it with Tracy Edwards and you know some really fantastic vessels. But there wasn't anything for the... 1990s boats uh the 60 footers and the the maxis which were prevalent in the in the 1990s so we asked don kate can we have our own division and indeed a couple of years ago they said yes and left that open but in between covid came along and pretty much all of the boats that are eligible to enter the ocean globe race in what they called the classic challenge division were all owned by companies like my own who uh, basically just stopped trading. Even some companies lost their boats, just literally went bust during COVID. So the entry fee for the boats for these kind of races, now just to put this in perspective, if you enter the the Barcelona World Race, the Velux Five Oceans Race, the... um, the uh, uh, Vendée Globe, something like that, you're looking between 40 and 50,000 euros to enter. And um, the, the amount of sponsorship that goes into those kind of events, the wages of the race organizers, the, the, the costs for the import uh, stopovers, all of that's covered by the, um, by the uh, sponsor. The, the entry fee for provides a bar, which basically stops every Tom, Dick and Harry putting their name down and then, of course, pulling out just before the race starts. You have to have a certain amount of money. You've got to have the boat. You've got to have experience. You've got to do all this stuff. That basically stops a lot of people from frivolously entering the race. Uh, my experience of being involved in the outer reaches of those kind of events, of course, I did enter one previously in the Velux Five Oceans race, is that half if not more of your entry fee is often returned when you cross the start line it literally is just a bar to get you in the race the ocean globe race is a little bit different because don's organization is you know is smaller it's not like he's you know sponsored by volvo or something like that so the incoming money from the race entry was actually necessary to running the event and i totally get that i totally understand that and i agreed to it when i agreed to get involved so if you wanted to get involved with um an event which was uh, so get involved with a boat which was uh, a, um, a professionally sponsored boat or it was a charter boat then you would be looking at a hundred thousand euros to enter your boat in the race so can you see why there was a bar to getting the boats into the event um, when the ocean globe race organizers put out a blog in early november saying that they were thinking of cancelling the classic challenge division 
um, I was I was rocked back on my heels because we've worked a lot. Last year we got um, Osprey over here, our 85-foot Maxi from Europe, brought that into the fleet specifically to do this event. We had two boats ready to go. I was in contact with at least three other people who were interested in being in the race, but it ended up in this weird, like, Mexican standoff where everybody's waiting for everybody else to move. The race organizers are waiting for people to pay the deposits. The sponsors are waiting for confirmation of the event before they'll give the money to the people who need to pay the deposit to be it. Can you see how this goes? It was a total catch 22. So what I did in um, November is I contacted Don and said, okay, what's the minimum that you need for this event to be able to go? And we agreed that um, four boats would be the minimum that you'd have in the division. And um, they'd take a 25% uh, deposit to secure those boats into the event, which is like 100,000 euros if you've got four boats each at $100,000, 100,000 euros each. So um, we started trying to get the money together. But the problem was we already have like four people signed up to go around the world on this before November, before there was any doubt, two of which, in fact, uh, Javier and Stefan joined me for the transatlantic trip of the Maxi from Europe uh, last summer. Um, it became very clear that there was this like moment where the race organizers were not sure it was going to happen. And I didn't think it was morally viable um, to, to, to continue selling the event, not knowing if it was going to happen, not knowing if it was going to go forward. I didn't want to take any more uh, deposit money, not knowing what was going to go forward. So we ended up in a situation where we're just looking at our sponsors and saying, can you pay this for us up front? And the sponsors all said the same thing. Look, COVID's very difficult. It puts a lot of kind of uh, um, wiggle room into everything. We're not quite sure how our own business is going. That We then combine that with the fact that this division's not even um, uh, confirmed. Um, 18 months out from the start of the race, it's not confirmed. And they were not willing to put the sponsorship money down. Understandably, it's hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, before confirmation of the event was, uh, was given. So as a Dutch would say, we fell between the dock and the ship. We just ended up in a situation where we couldn't get the funds together, put the deposit down, secure the entry. And without the entry secured, we couldn't get the funds. So as of right now, we're not entering the Ocean Globe race, which, uh, you know, you might think, oh, well, that's the end of that. Well, no, because uh, that's just not how it goes, right? So obviously I've had since November the 6th to think about this. That's when the blog came out from the Ocean Globe race. So I've got something I'd like to throw past you. And um, if you've got any ideas on it, you've got any thoughts on it, then uh, email me as always at csmthemariner at gmail.com. We can chat it over. I'll read your uh, comments out in the next uh, news and views or the uh, questions and tangents one if it's uh, questions in there. Um, I'm proposing that we start around the world yacht race. Is that crazy? I don't know. Like, I feel like it's crazy. Like, I've gone through all the details of it and it can work and it, 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 it has a very good basis to it, which I'll take you through right now. Um, I think there's a lot of benefits can come out of it. I don't think a lot of profits going to come out of it, but I really don't give two hoots about that. I think that it can be an amazing event. I don't think it stands on the Ocean Globe race's toes. I don't want to do that. Don was fantastic through the entire time we communicated. But I think it opens up an opportunity because I know there are other boats and boat owners out there that want to do this kind of round the world race. And I think there's a gap. I think there's a gap there right now because I know the Ocean race has got plans to go again but they're going to take the Volvo 65s and like with the best will in the world, they're great boats. But the whole idea of the Whitbread race and the Volvo race is that it was the cutting edge of offshore sailing technology. The Volvo 65s are now getting on for 10 years old. You know, they they are as old now as my boat was 
when the Volvo 70s were going around. So um, interest to get involved in that might not be the same kind of interest that there was before. Um, and I wonder if Don is onto something when he's saying, like, let's just bring round the world racing back to what's important, what's basic to the concept, what is it that people want to see coming out of a round the world yacht race? What's the best of it? What what are the French doing that makes the Vendée Globe so successful, and yet every other round the world race is kind of in decline? And I've I've said this a number of times before. I think what the French have got is that they have got a strong history of um, really. Uh, inspiring offshore characters. A lot of them from the 60s, Eric Tabelli, Jacques Cousteau, Bernard Mortissier, um, Alain Bombardier, like all sorts of people who were doing things on the water, which was truly inspiring. It pushed humans to the edge of what was possible and they came back better and, and more clarity of mind and, and more, you know, Bernard Mortissier, his writings are so philosophical and so beautiful um, that he got to that place in his head through sailing makes sailing interesting. If the only thing that you're getting from around the world yacht race is the boat position and like vicariously living through celebrations on a dock for half an hour at the end of it, there's not much in that. But if you've got like individual personalities and individual stories from boats of of, of true grit and, and determination and, and, and skill and team and, and, and heart, I think that is something which easily captures the attention. So I propose a yacht race and it's going to be called the Nova Scotia Round the World Yacht Race or the Nova. Okay. Now, why is it called the Nova Scotia Yacht Race? Well, for two reasons. I live in Nova Scotia, so I get to decide. And number two, why don't we start it from Nova Scotia? So Nova Scotia is basically 45 degrees north, which is about the same um, latitude as Sardalon. So a yacht race starting from here would have to go out through the Gulf Stream, through the north wall of the Gulf Stream, head south, obviously you'd want to be out of hurricane season, past Bermuda, and it's going to have to make its way to Fernando Orna on the corner of um, southern uh, South America there, on the, the east coast of South America, before it joins the traditional route for boats um, heading off down, down in that part of the world and, and off around the world, right? So you rejoin the normal route when you get to the, the corner of South America. And then the route goes down and it goes to Sydney. It goes to Sydney. No stops before Sydney. Nova Scotia to Sydney. And then the boats uh, get involved with the Sydney Hobart race, which is a classic race, a beautiful race. And what it does is it means that that town is going to be filled with sailors and sailing events and boats. And even if for quite a small event, we don't have to have huge money thrown into all sorts of events going on, which means we can have quite a low entrance fee. Okay, very keen to get as many people involved as possible. The boats do the Sydney Harbour, uh, sorry, the Sydney Hobart race. And at the end of the Sydney Hobart, Hobart will, of course, be filled with sailors, filled with excitement about sailing. And the boats will set off from there and set off to Cape Horn and back up the Atlantic. And then unusually, instead of crossing from the eastern side of South America to Europe, they're going to continue on up across the front of the Caribbean, then up the Gulf Stream, essentially back to Nova Scotia. So it definitely adheres to all of the normal rules for doing a round-the-world yacht race. Um, the minimum distance has to be 21,800 miles. You have to recover your um, outbound, you have to recross rather your outbound track. You must cross all lines of longitude and a certain amount of time has to be spent in the northern and southern hemispheres. So um, the amount of time which you would have in the northern hemisphere coming from a position 40, 45 degrees north, give or take, is exactly the same as you get from going from Europe. So 
There's no doubt that this could be run, okay? It keeps the entrance fee low if you're not going to loads and loads of different ports. I think it has a weakness in the fact that there's only one stop, but technology gives us the opportunity to do some really interesting things with offshore racing. And we've seen this more and more now with offshore races that we've got media coming off the boats, high quality media, live streaming stuff, great images, blogs, drone footage, all that kind of stuff. So great, we can do that. But also because of the tracking technology, we can do some really interesting things with speed gates and with stealth and with individual legs. So let me tell you my, my story um, as a novice around the world racer when I set off on my Open 60, within um, five days, within a week, within a week of the start, I was 400 miles behind. I drove directly into a high pressure system. My, my computer was not fully set up on the boat. Um, I was unable to download grib information for the first four or five days. And the first time I got grib information, I saw that all the other competitors had veered off uh, six hours before and I was running directly into a high, which I then got becalmed for three days. And when I came out the other side of it, they were yeah like 398 to 500 miles away from me. And that's it. So you don't want to be in a situation on a round the world yacht race where you can fall behind and then you can never catch up again, which can happen in the Vendée Globe. If something happens to you and you get behind, well, there's very few times in yacht racing where being behind is advantageous. But if you have uh, the ability to set virtual gates on the ocean and track boats very carefully, you can do three very interesting things. Number one, you can say, here's a virtual finish line. You could run a line due south of Cape Town and say that's the virtual finish line. So the boats are timed between the departure point and that virtual gate, but they keep on going. So you get that, the strength of the um, concept that it's around the world yacht race with minimal stops, but you get the ability to gate the boats and have different legs by just having virtual gates. The other thing you can do is you can have speed gates. You can have a, say, uh, a line five degrees north, five degrees south, and as the boats go into that area, a clock starts, whichever boat at the front or the back gets the fastest time going through the gate, they can get points which are added to their overall total. So we can do individual legs as the boats come down the Atlantic, go across the Indian Ocean, um, the individual leg of the Sydney Hobart race, the individual leg of getting round to Ushuaia or something like that in Cape Horn, the individual leg of getting back to the equator maybe, and the individual leg back to Nova Scotia without stopping the boats. We can also um, do the speed legs and we can do that on a north-south latitude. We can do that on an east-west longitude and, and again, put more points into the system. And lastly, and you, many of you have seen this if you've been following yacht races, the boats can go into ghost mode where they can go off the scanner for uh, 24 hours so that the audience can't see them and the other competitors can't see them. And if they want to start some kind of tactical or strategic maneuver, then they can um, they can set off on that unseen if they think there's a place they can go for advantage. So there's lots of ways of interacting with round the world yacht races. Also, of course, you've got virtual regatta and all that kind of stuff which doesn't require the boats to come into port. Sponsors are always beset with round the world events with the fact that um, the, the boats have got all the advertising on them, great, and then that billboard goes over the horizon to a place where nobody sees it. So races with stops become more and more important. Something like the Clipper race, you know, it can have like 14 stops. Now that, a lot of that is to do with the fact that it breaks it up for the amateurs who are on board, but it also panders to the requirements of a sponsor interested to activate their sponsorship. 
that can still happen when you have excellent media coming off a boat. In the new world that we live in now, you can get great media off the boat. So the Nova sets off from Nova Scotia, goes down the Atlantic, individual gates, individual speed gates, stealth mode. It goes over to Sydney. That's its first big finish into Sydney a week or two weeks, whatever it is before the Sydney Hobart. The sailors get a decent opportunity to get off the boat, relax, see their families, be in Australia, which we're pretty sure by now, by we'd be talking in the winter of 2023, 2024, COVID restrictions should be done, long done by then. Um, and even if they're not, you can probably get pretty special dispensation for the fact that nobody will have touched the sides in 60 odd days, whatever it is, since they left, um, since they left Nova Scotia. So they'll be quarantined before they even get there. So into Sydney, do the Sydney Hobart race, which is a brilliant event and a short term event and a great opportunity to really like promote the boats, promote the sponsors and promote who's on board and then set off again for another monster leg back to Nova Scotia. But with these individual uh, timing opportunities through the um, tracking tech. So that's the basic concept. Additions to that would be the fact that you can stop in at certain ports along the route if you want to, but there will be um, there'll be time uh, penalties for that. There'll be uh, points penalties for that because if you do a round the world yacht race where there's legs, you like going from say France to Cape Town, you can sprint that and then put the boat back together and sprint the next bit to Australia and then sprint the next bit round the horn and you're just bashing the boat up but relying on the fact that a big sponsor is going to pay you to put it all back together again. I think any kind of race that I would want to be involved in would speak to the the origins of the sailing community here in Nova Scotia, which is about seamanship and endurance and tenacity and, and, and you know smart decision making on the sea. That's my philosophy as well. I'm, I'm somebody who favors um, safety rather than speed all the time. Um, and I think a race where, yeah, sure, if you need to go into Cape Town and fix something that's broken, no problem. Go right ahead and do that. For every day you're there, you're going to lose one or two points or whatever it is to try and push the race towards favoring seamanship like the Vendée Globe instead of featuring, you know, sprints, which I kind of, to me, it's very thrilling, but it, it, it doesn't add up to much in the end. It doesn't increase my understanding of the sailors. It doesn't develop the story of the sailors. They're just going hell for leather and breaking stuff, which most of us can't do in our sailing life. We can't, we can't run our boats like that unless we've got the privilege of uh, having enough cash. It doesn't matter. So the Nova is about seamanship. Um, there's a benefit in here as well, the fact that um, most of the round the world races that have stops will be over about nine months. And if you want to get involved in something like that, you literally have to take two or three months out for training. And then you have to take nine months out for this incredible event that you're getting involved in, which having done it twice, it just writes off large periods of your life. Um, if you're doing a round the world yacht race that doesn't stop and doesn't have all that time in port and you're doing it on a fast boat, you can be... You can be about 30 days from Nova Scotia to Cape Town. You can be about 30 days from Cape Town to Sydney, give or take. So 60 days, between 50 and 60 days, you'll be in, in uh, Sydney. Then there's going to be a, a meaningful stop over there to reconnect with family, friends, and, and get off the boat for a little while. There's going to be the five-day event of the 600-mile um, run down Hobart. And then from Hobart, a good little shakedown of the boats there for that 600-miler, as long as there's no damage or anything. And then setting off, and it's again another... 30 days to Cape Horn and another 30 days back up to Nova Scotia. So you can pretty quickly see that there's uh, two months of sailing and then could be like a month in Australia and then two months of sailing and you're done, um, which I think presents a different timetable perhaps than other races have in, in the past. You know, if you're going to do something like the Clipper race, then you've really got to put aside 
nine months of your life. If we were going to do the Ocean Globe race, then we would have been certainly looking at seven, eight, nine months again, depending on exactly how long the stopovers were scheduled to be. Um, putting time aside to go and do even the Vendée Globe, it's yes, it's shorter, um, but it's a very, very intense period of time at sea, which for many sort of second stream competitors, the kind of likely campaign that you're able to get involved in if you just buy your own boat and go and do it and don't have decades of experience and multi-million dollar sponsors, you're probably looking at 90 to 120 days at sea, which is is pretty intense. We're looking at 60 days at sea, two months. That's a very, very full on. It's the longest um, amateur racing leg that you can do in any race anywhere. There's nothing in the Clipper race that's that long. Um, it's an opportunity to get out and do some serious racing. But those legs, those long legs, are subdivided into separate races um, using the virtual gates. So it is a shorter period of time, but it's still got the uh, the dynamism of the fact that it's a number of different uh, events uh, within uh, one overarching event. So sponsorship-wise, yeah, we've um, we've still got um, two sponsors uh, who are standing by ready to see how this evolves. Um, they were ready to put in the money for the entrance fee of the Golden Globe race, i.e. 100,000 euros each. And we also have two very strong uh, outlooks for sponsoring the veterans, um, one, per, uh, one governmental and one private. And uh, we're looking to get the sponsorship to have two boats that were sponsored entirely for the, for the veterans. So as I've said, this is for veterans who are struggling with PTSD, military veterans, veterans from um, first responder units and veterans from the health uh, departments that have obviously gone through so much in the last two years dealing with COVID. Um, there's a lot of uh, energy and money out there uh, ready to, to help these people. And if sail training can be part of that, then there's a, there's a certainly a lot of People telling me if you can make this work, then we're happy to, to get involved. Now that would mean that there would be uh, there'd be the two maxis. So you've got two boats which each can take eighteen people. Um, with the Golden Globe, uh, sorry, with the Ocean Globe race, we were looking at the fact that those uh, uh, positions on board would need to be uh, run under the rulings of the race office for the Ocean Globe, i.e., that you couldn't change any more than seventy percent of your crew when you came into port. That was the the the, the notice of race that we had uh, agreed to. If we're doing our own event, then we can actually have two complete changes of crew. So that means we can actually increase the number of people who are doing meaningful amounts of time at sea. So. Um, this means basically you have 18 people on the boat that go all the way down to Sydney and then 18 people on the boat coming back up. We've got two boats. So suddenly we're looking at 72 people that are able to get involved in, in this event, 72 people dealing with PTSD. And then the, the media that we can create around that means that other people with the same problems can learn from the lessons that uh, people take from the ocean. They can see how uh, positively this affects people. And um, obviously we can do this event in the future if it works and we can do it every couple of years um personally i'd be very excited to see a number of veteran crews and now that we're kind of setting the rules we're kind of making it up ourselves as we're going along we can we can create any kind of structure we need to that that best helps sponsored places happen on the on the veterans boats we've still got the open enrollment boats um, and both of those two divisions will be able to or two types of sailor will be able to race against each other because they're still effectively amateur sailors if professionals want to join 
somebody's got the money, somebody's got the interest to put uh, a boat onto the water to come out and be uh, a professional team, that's fine. We'll just put them in a, in a different division because they're going to be a lot closer to the ultimate performance that these boats are capable of. But I'm pretty sure by the time we've got down the Atlantic, if my clipper experiences anything to, to kind of go by and anything close to this reality, uh, by the time the crews round uh, Cape of Good Hope and set off into the Southern Ocean, start that drag race uh, across the Southern Indian Ocean, um, they can get pretty damn close to the polars available for the boats. So I think there'd be pretty close competition between all the boats once we get down there. But underlying all of this is the, the feeling that um, there is something strong in this, uh, in this division. I've just spoken this morning to another boat owner who's interested to get involved. But as always happens, people are standing to see is this happening? And I would just say, remember that the Ocean Globe Race, um, Don has got the background of doing the Golden Globe Race, which was brilliant. Um, but when he started that, it was one man and a vision and a website and people getting involved. Um, with this kind of event, we can certainly take registrations of interest from boat owners. We can take registrations of interest from crew. And once it's all kind of coming together and we know you know how many people are in this and have we got all of the the constituents we need to make this work then we can all commit to it i'm not um expecting this to fly off the shelf immediately we all need to kind of come to the idea and see if it's something we want to do but there is a sponsorship base there is the logistics base there we physically have the boats we are now able to open it up under our own rules to open 60s and to Volvo 65s, Volvo 70s, any of the boats that have been built for around the world racing. So it's a broader spectrum of people. The bar to get the boats in is a lot lower, 50%. So just to clarify that, I'm going to ask 50,000 euros and half of that will go back to the boat owners when they cross the start line. So if I didn't clarify that earlier, let me do that now. So it's 50,000 euros to enter into the race and 25,000 euros of that will be returned when the boats cross the start line. Um, just to create that feeling of like solidity to this, like is this a real thing? Is this actually happening? We don't want to get to a couple of months before the actual race departs and then discover, oh no, sorry, I can't come. So <laughs> um, I think if we just run it along the same rules that uh, any other around the world race has, has been in that 50,000 euro category. And then for people that want to enter the race, yeah, so when we're doing the Ocean Globe race, we basically pitch the uh, price to match Clippers around the world race. So uh, Clippers around the world race fees. So they've been doing that race for years. Um, it's a very understood kind of uh, concept for them and what the costs are and, and, and how it can run down. With what we're doing with this event, because it will be quicker, because we'll be actually physically completing the distance in a much faster time, the boats are not off of their normal work for as long as possible. When you're going to get involved in months and months of training, months and months of refit, and then nine months of a race, basically you're just writing the boats out of uh, the, 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 the company's books for, for over a year. Um, if we're racing from like October through to March or something along there, we're not that active really during that period of time anyway. Yes, we get down to the Caribbean, but you know, as I've said before with the racing, we don't actually make very much money out of the racing because the racing is so demanding on the boats and there's so much work required after they've raced to, to refit them back to being able to be useful. So um, the Caribbean doesn't, it, a lot of money flows through these kind of companies when you're doing that kind of racing, but very little of it actually sticks around by the time you pay the bill. So 
to commit the boats to, to work from October through to December, we wouldn't be doing anything anyway. And to commit the boats from January through to March, we wouldn't really be doing anything. The fact that this event doesn't go on into June, July means that we can go back to our normal work. So we can drop the cost from 63,000 euros to 42,000 euros just simply because we don't have to pay the entrance fee and we don't have to pay uh, we don't have to have the boats out there not earning in any other way. Like at the end of the day, this always comes down to the actual details of how the business works. And there's no point trying to shroud that in mystery. It's pretty obvious. If you go to the website with a calculator and start to work out, okay, you know, what do these things cost? And you can very quickly online find out what a skipper um, it requires on a daily wage and what insurance is and all that kind of stuff. You can work out the business model very, very quickly. I, I have no... Uh, no qualms at all about being open about it. What I want to do is get people onto the water, but I am limited by some of the, you know, the realities of the business. But on this occasion, perhaps we are freed up by the fact that we now don't have a 400,000 euro bill waiting for entrance to the Ocean Globe race. And if the boats are not out there for as long as they were before, then we just drop the price. It's no, I want people to go on the water. I want people to have this experience. I want the veterans and the open enrollment people to have this. I want Nova Scotia to benefit from being the, the start and finish point of this. Um, it's my love of sailing that kind of fuels all of these things I do. So I'm not looking to profit out of it. If we can drop the price, then we'll drop the price. And that's, that's what I'm sharing with you now. So yeah, that's it. I say I'm not going to go on for too long here because it's very specifically about uh, this uh, Nova race. Um, if you have interest in this, please email me at csmthemariner at gmail.com, whether you're looking to put a boat in or you know someone that might, um, whether you've got any ideas on my concept here for where we're going to go and how we're going to do this. Um, I'll just throw in here also that I was approached recently about doing the Cape Rio race out of Cape Town up to Rio. If anybody has any interest in joining that, uh, we're just looking at that. And with the concept being now to race from Nova Scotia to Cape Town, my I was immediately aware of the fact that, oh, hang on, we can actually do the first leg of the event, the, the bit that's never been done before, Nova Scotia to Cape Town. We can do it, see how it goes, and, um, and, and build that learning into what's going on so we know how long it's going to take. So I'm kind of looking at that now. I won't be able to do it because I'm going off with uh, Falcon at the end of the year. But uh, I talked to Marcus Charlton-Brown, and he's looking to, to get involved in that race. If we can get – he doesn't want to do the delivery. Um, I have people that will. But um, – he wants to do the race from Cape Town up to Rio. So if you have any interest in that, also email me. Um, and other than that, yes, I leave it to you. What do you think? The Nova race, is that is that a thing? Am I missing something here? Is there some reason we shouldn't start a round-the-world yacht race from North America? Is it an entirely a European uh, sport and nothing else? Is there some way that I have messed up the timings here? Or what's the issue? The boats are all out there. The Imoca 60s are out there, all the Volvo boats, the Whitbread boats, the, the, the Mistrals, all that stuff's out there. Um, entry fee is consummate with other round the world races and the fee to get on board in the pay to play mode is uh, now reduced by a third from what it was. So yeah, get in contact with me, tell me what you think and uh, let's see if we can <laughs> start ourselves a round the world yacht race. I would say if we can get seven boats in, I know the Ocean Globe race was saying four boats and they'd run the division um, and I respect that but as I'm looking to put four in myself I want to see seven boats in this that then matches the kind of numbers we've seen in the Volvo race in its uh, in the last 20 years and I think that you've got a proper race on when Clipper goes it's got 10 when uh, the Ocean Globe race goes they've got 22 
the Golden Globe race had 17. So the big boats, the more expensive campaigns do tend to be less boats. Uh, obviously, Vendée Globe is like 27 boats. But if we had seven, I think we'd have an event. And if we then said we're going to do this every couple of years, wow, that would be that would be something, wouldn't it? That'd be quite exciting. So I shall leave you with that. So wherever you are and whatever you're doing, I hope that you are safe and sound and uh, maybe got a thought now that there might be a way to sail around the world. Um, and I shall speak to you in the next one. Cheers. Cheers.